This is VOCM News Talk. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. Here's VOCM News Talk host Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I trust you all had a good weekend. Um, We are now informed that uh, the long detour around that uh, cleanup site on the TransCanada highway um the highway is now open one lane in each direction one lane in each direction is three lanes uh i believe according to the pictures of the scene uh in that area so two lanes now open one in each direction and slow going slow going yeah but uh i remember some chatter too on social media talking about um you know how the speed limit is 50 down through those communities and some people were wondering well you know the kids are getting out on the buses soon we really have to be extra vigilant because you know you don't want another accident well indeed and uh, kids are not going to be used to seeing that level of traffic right. on the roads uh, so they're going to come out and do their own regular thing and uh, and traffic is not used to going that slowly when they're trying to get somewhere <laughs> down through a community on uh, much narrower roads than the highway. So um, uh, hopefully everybody's behaving themselves. But we did receive a call from the town of Chapel Cove, uh, Norman's Cove, earlier today saying, please ask people to keep their speeds down. They were getting inundated with calls from residents saying, whoa, people are speeding. Uh, So uh, hopefully now that will be completely cleaned up in the next little while. But I saw some video from the scene and it was actually showing the fuel, the oil that was coming out of one of these, uh, this tanker truck, like flowing like a river, like. Yeah, I, I, 23,000 liters. Yeah, extraordinary amount of uh, fuel. So that's Mm -hmm. a significant cleanup. Uh, And I expect that they'll probably be doing some mitigation in that area for the next little while anyway. Uh, So we'll uh, keep you up to date on that. But thankfully, traffic is starting to move, albeit slowly, on the highway in that area. If you've decided to go down and take the detour, please be careful. Be mindful. These are residential areas. And you can expect to see people on the road, people trying to back out of their driveways to do all the normal stuff uh so be mindful of that it's not a thoroughfare um so how was your weekend okay so i am probably a very boring person i get my thrills from shopping for groceries and um costco okay you know who my husband said to me he said did somebody think that that was a good idea to build it there on a nice calm day because i went out (laughs) with those winds blow the head off you well it blew okay my door opened and it stayed open that was fine side door of my vehicle opened my one of my favorite mitts blew out and thankfully it was really full of different colors because one of the workers there he chased it for a very long time and got it for me so thank you (laughs) there's no worse feeling i happened to me one time around i think it was around uh halloween i um, went to a store and i parked in the parking lot and i opened up the back and the wind was blowing a gale and And it grabbed one of the garbage bags from the back of my vehicle and 
danced in the air, it did it? It went away. It, it went yeah. like 50 feet up in the air, and it was just teasing me, yeah. twisting and turning in the <laughs> in the air, saying, bye-bye. <laughs> See you later. Uh, so if anyone finds a Sobeys bag somewhere <laughs> in around my neighborhood, that was me. It's only so far no you, you can chase it, right? Roll over it. I, there was no chasing. It yeah. just went, gone. <laughs> <laughs> so I can imagine the desperate feeling of oh. watching your favorite mitten go away but thankfully that was and then i watched other people trying to help other shoppers because things were literally flying out of carts wow it was it was just and my lips my lips were going into a smile they don't go into a smile when there's a lot of people around but they were going into a smile because <laughs> the wind was taking the corners you, all the way to you the had back that yes. <laughs> <laughs> um it was a windy weekend it really really yeah. was yeah it was a windy weekend for sure uh, and you could feel it you had to turn the temperature up a little bit i found. I, I did too i yeah. hated doing that but i did yeah, yeah. It actually pains me to do that. It but, does, yeah. because you're just seeing dollar signs, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'll get the mitts, the, the mitts. Yeah. I'll get the, the slippers and the extra and, um, sweater on and all that stuff rather than turn up that heat, but... Kind of and, forced to the weekend. And I'm married yeah. to somebody that, it, you know, if you walk towards it. Oh, he <laughs> has a question? <laughs> what, uh, what are you what, doing? What, yeah, what, what, what's what going on there? Yeah. What are you doing? Oh, they must be related. <laughs> Well, I see memes about it all the time, so it, it's it's a human, it's a ubiquitous male thing, psychological, you know, thing. Um, did you get your? Is Christmas back in the box? Oh no, Christmas is not back in the box. I still have ever, and I didn't even turn on my tree the weekend, so I didn't even really enjoy. You didn't even it have either. that moment with your tree. I didn't have that moment. Maybe I'll have it this week, and then I'll try to do the tear down a little later on. Did you? I did. I managed to get it all done yesterday. You did. Yeah. You're so efficient. Oh, but does your house look really bare now? You want to it looks so it boring. Yeah, I was singing all weekend. Oh, okay. boring house. Oh, boring house. <laughs> You are so dull, my boring mm-hmm. house. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, quite a difference. It's, I don't know, there's something about the red and the gold and the Cozy. sparkling things yeah. that really, I don't know. Get a few battery-operated candles, you'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, be that as it may. There was a, a big uh, housing announcement today in St. John's, uh, too, as a matter of fact. Uh, the Newfoundland and Labrador Housing Corporation and NL uh, Health Services partnered with Clayton Hospitality to use the comfort in on Airport Road for transitional housing. The initiative, part of a three-year lease with the province, three-year lease, will make use of the 140 rooms at the hotel, including ones to be supported by the health authority. So that was one. What's the cost on that? Well, it's uh, close to $7 million a year, three-year lease. Um, The other one is uh, the opening, the official opening of uh, a... 40-unit development on Janeway Place, and we'll take you back to that announcement when we come back after the break. This is News Talk on VOCM. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. 
And we are back. And as uh, we indicated, the provincial and federal governments unveiled eight new affordable housing units in the Pleasantville neighborhood of St. John's today. The units are the first of a 40-unit development on Janeway Place. Construction of the remaining units expected to start in the spring. The opening of the units was marked with an event in St. John's this morning. Here are some of the comments made by MP Joanne Thompson and St. John's Mayor Danny Breen. And I want to acknowledge the many community uh, partners that I see uh, here today. And I want to say very clearly that, yes, net housing is a national concern, but we are making progress, and we will continue to make progress by working together. And the people in the room are an example of three levels of government, who work in collaboration and partnership, and the community who are actively engaged in so many of these projects who are on the front lines and tireless in their advocacy, support, and commitment to ensure that indeed housing is a human right and any person in our community who, um, who is experiencing challenges with their housing needs will work, that the resources in our community will work with them to ensure that they are are housed safely and with dignity and respect. So um, I want to um, also say that, you know, just before Christmas, I was very fortunate to join my uh, colleague, uh, Minister O'Regan, in an announcement, an important announcement on seniors' housing. And I reference that as we come today uh, to celebrate a project through the um, Rapid Housing Initiative, is that we are making progress across the continuum of housing needs. And I want to just quickly reference the continuum of housing needs and someone who's worked in the community, I well understand that there isn't one door. There's multiple doors and there's work happening across all of the, um, across that in entire need, but it's happening simultaneously. So it's not that there's just one focus. It's not. We can do multiple things at once and a crisis really brings out the very best in all of us. So that having been said, I am delighted to be with you today to celebrate this grand opening of the project here at Janeway Place. This project received over over $1.1 million to the Rapid Housing Initiative, and I am proud to commemorate the completion of this project with you today. Janeway Place <coughs> offers Newfoundlanders and Labradorians who are at risk of homelessness or who may struggle with mental health or addiction issues a safe place to call home. Four of the eight units will be reserved for women and their children. Four main units are wheelchair accessible, offering one-bedroom units with widened exterior interior doors and hallways and level type of handles and faucets which is incredibly important. The impact of these spaces cannot be understated. They will give people who need safe and reliable homes the opportunity for a new beginning in a stable and supportive environment. Before I end, I would once again like to thank my colleagues across all levels of government and the community for your tireless advocacy, your hard work, and I think today is just another <coughs> example of how we will work together to ensure no one who needs a home is left without a safe and dignified space. So thank you, and I'm so pleased to be here. Housing and homelessness are incredibly complex issues and there's no shortage of challenges we face in addressing the evolving needs in our community. But we are making strides, and today's announcement is a testament to that. 
There is no quick fix to many of the issues we're seeing in our community with homelessness, but we know that building capacity for safe, sustainable, affordable housing is an important piece of that puzzle. Housing isn't just about bricks and mortar. It's about the heart and soul of our community. It's about the warmth, security, and opportunity it provides to each of our residents. These eight new affordable homes, which are the first of 40 being constructed on Janeway Place, mark a pivotal step in our ongoing efforts to foster a community where every person, regardless of circumstance, has access to safe and affordable housing. As we witness the completion of these first housing units and anticipate the completion of the next 32, let's recognize the profound impact they'll have on the lives of our, of our fellow residents. With universal design features and a focus on energy efficiency, these homes are more than structures. They're symbols of inclusivity, accessibility, and sustainability. As a city, we play an important role in ensuring the long-term affordability of housing units, such as the ones being discussed here today. This includes things like waiving development fees and providing parking relief. Our dedicated city staff work diligently with all our partners to overcome challenges and to ensure that these projects come to fruition. The support from our provincial and federal governments, particularly through initiatives like the National Housing Strategies Rapid Housing Initiative, have been invaluable. Apart from the project being celebrated here today, the City and our community partners Stella Circle and Choices for Youth have also benefited from significant events investments through the Rapid Housing Initiative, resulting in 35 affordable housing units being built on Cabot Street, Janeway Place and Military Road, 20 of which are now in use, providing tenants with a renewed sense of stability and security. These initiatives are not just about buildings. They're about fostering vibrant communities where everyone can thrive. As we look for toward the future, let's remember that our commitment to affordable housing is not merely an obligation. It's a testament to our values as a community. There is no one level of government, not one nonprofit, and no single private sector entity that can solve the housing price crisis alone. This demands a kind of collaboration and pooling of resources that have gone into developments like we are learning about today. But our work doesn't end here. We must continue to advocate for affordable housing, to seek out innovative solutions, and to amplify the voices of those who are most affected by the housing crisis. So you recognize uh, Mayor Danny Breen's voice there. He was uh, making some comments along with MP Joanne Thompson at the official opening of uh, eight new affordable housing units in the Pleasantville neighborhood of St. John's. They employ universal design and uh, had a look at some of the pictures that Richard Duggan took while he toured one of the units. Uh, it looks very swanky, I must say. It looks really uh, neat. It has like in the kitchen, for instance, it has these lower kind of counter tops so that uh, you know if you're in a wheelchair you can access the top of the countertop because a lot of times countertops are quite high you know like when you used to go into a bank one time the the bank tillers thing used to yes, be really high super high yeah yeah so Very yeah the, thoughtful the countertops are lower uh, the sink for instance you can roll in under the sink if you know what i'm mm -hmm. saying the yeah. sink is 
so you can work at the sink if you happen to be in a uh, wheelchair the the stove is sort of mid-range on the wall like you used to see in some of the houses in the 70s and 80s you know that type of thing so it's accessible everything's accessible everything is accessible mm-hmm. the um all the um switches and light switches and that sort of thing are uh easily accessible instead of being high up on the wall or whatever the case may be so uh the idea behind universal design is that it's not for any one person it's for more it's for everyone it's for everyone yeah and usually the design is absolutely seamless you would walk in you say hey this is cool i can use this no matter who you are or what your range of ability might be. Uh, so that's the beauty behind universal design. It's not like, hey, what's going on here? Why is everything like that? It's like, this makes sense to everybody. That's wonderful. Because it's you, an amazing concept. Yeah, because like you said, you wouldn't notice. It's just you know that you're there and everything is accessible, but it's not blatant you know like you said that it's obvious that somebody has some sort of a an issue or not so that's beautiful yeah and let's let's be honest you know if you're living in one of these units and your intent is to be there in the long haul your needs may change over time Oh, big time. People have to add on things. I know um, with my grandparents growing up, they eventually had to add on an extension, a ramp. I know another family, because their needs changed, they had to widen everything in their house, which is kind of hard to do when you live in an older home. So having these at the get-go when they're newly built, I mean, that... That's amazing. It, it, the, you won't have to incur the costs Exactly. To it saves an awful lot yeah. of uh, time and allows you to age in place, which right. is the goal. I mean, instead of, I know uh, there are a lot home. of people who require uh, long-term care and that sort of thing, and that's why that's there, and that's amazing, and that's wonderful. Uh, but there's a lot of people who are comfortable and want to stay in their own homes if they can get around and do the things that they need to do on a regular basis without too much fuss or bother or, or money. money. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, very interesting indeed. Well, End Homelessness St. John's Executive Director Doug Pawson is also welcoming news of these new units. They were originally, if you recall, announced quite some time ago. Uh, he speaks with VOCM's Richard Duggan and other reporters about the new units and government's use of a hotel by the airport for transitional housing. Yeah, announcements uh, where housing is being completed is always a good sign. So having eight individuals and families now have access to, to new affordable housing, it's, it's a great first step forward in the completion of, uh, of a lot of these housing projects that are coming online. What do you think about what's happening there at the, at the hotel? Well, I think that's a really uh, transformative opportunity to really reimagine how we deliver shelter services, transitional housing and supports. Integration of health services, mental health and addiction uh, within the hotel itself is is transformative. That's a really great opportunity. A lot of folks struggle with with their health, so having access to that in that site is going to be a game changer. Is this something that was recommended by the group that's working to alleviate homelessness and work with Tent City? Yeah, this is absolutely something that we've been pushing for a while. We, We did this through the COVID response as well where we had health services integrated in so it's something that we were familiar with and we wanted to see expanded upon how is this going to improve say the private shelter system that folks are going into currently well hopefully there's a less reliant need for that service you know hopefully more folks who actually need supports and services can avail of the hotel option and then from there avail of housing um, that that they can avail of with supports in place 
that this will get filled up really quickly because the minister said there's like 2,900 wait list for Newfoundland and Labrador housing. They're building, you know, 80 units down here in Pleasantville, but it seems like a drop in, in the bucket compared to what's needed. Do you think this might get clogged up quickly? I think we're going to take an intentional approach for how folks are, are gaining entry into it. It's going to be something that we'll be really mindful of, so we want to make sure that folks who are, who are there, it's a good fit and it's suitable, and we'll put them on the pathway for success. And that is the executive director of N Homelessness St. John's, uh, Doug Pawson, speaking with reporters, including VOCM's Richard Duggan today, about uh, these new um, units being constructed on Janeway Place in St. John's uh, uh, for people of all ages and abilities, but also about uh, a separate announcement made earlier today about um, Newfoundland and Labrador Housing and NL Health Services partnering with uh, Clayton Hospitality for use of the Comfort Inn on Airport Road for transitional housing. And it will make use of 140 rooms at the hotel, including uh, ones to be supported by the Health Authority, which will include uh, harm reduction, community health nursing, case management, mental health and addiction services, and social navigation. The facility will feature a key card system for each room. Uh, so that's that security that uh, individuals are looking for, as well as three meals daily. Uh, um, so that was a separate announcement made earlier today. If you have any thoughts on that, you're certainly welcome to call. Uh, anyone who has been stuck in or uh, getting through the traffic through the uh, TransCanada there near Chance Cove and wants to give us a call, call, they're certainly welcome to give us a call. Uh, the numbers to do so coming up shortly. We're up to news time now with Sarah Strickland. The lines are open. Call now, 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. VOCM News Talk returns in a moment. Local News Now, a VOCM News Update. This VOCM News, brought to you by The Countertop Place. You deserve the best. Let us make it happen. At 4 o'clock, or 4.30 rather, it's minus 4 and cloudy in St. John's. Good afternoon, I'm Sarah Strickland. Well, there were no serious injuries in a collision between a commercial passenger bus and an oil tanker on the Trans-Canada west of Long Harbor this morning, but the crash has resulted in a significant oil spill. Two people on the bus were taken to hospital with what are reported as minor injuries. RCMP say a large quantity of oil spilled onto the highway and video from the scene around 6.30 this morning shows oil flowing like a river on the road. An early estimate of the amount of fuel leaked is 23,000 liters, according to a first responder on the scene. A significant cleanup effort continues, but the highway was closed for a period of time. Uh, RCMP say that one lane has reopened in each direction. Occupational health and safety is involved in the investigation, and RCMP will be providing more updates as they become available. NL Health Services say while progress is being made, recruitment and retention of healthcare professionals remains a challenge in some areas of the province. The Health Authority was responding to questions from VOCM News about continued disruptions in health services in many parts of the province, including Belle Island, Bonavista, Bayvert, and Nuez Valley, in recent days. In some cases, virtual ER services have been employed to fill the gap. NL Health Services says extensive recruitment efforts continue to stabilize the workforce in order to maintain ER services for people throughout the province. 
The CEO of the St. John's International Airport Authority has been appointed to the Airports Council Interna- International's North American Board of Directors. Dennis Hogan says he's honored by the by the appointment. That board represents local, regional, and state governing bodies that own and operate commercial airports in Canada and the United States. The board includes 15 directors elected by its membership, including 11 U.S. representatives and just four from Canada. And the Whitless Bay Volunteer Fire Department is celebrating the promotion of their very first female captain. Crystal Kelly is the first female fire captain in the department's 34-year history. Up next, your VOCM traffic and weather forecast. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News talk on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, opposition uh, energy critic Lloyd Parrott sounding the alarm as the CROs FPSO heads to Ireland for major refit work. Parrott says it's part of a pattern... Um, of lucrative work opportunities going out of province, citing the recent $500 million refit of the Terranova FPSO in Spain, and now the estimated $100 million in work heading to Ireland to extend the life of the Sea Rose. He joins me now. Well, hello, Lloyd Parrott. Hey, Linda, how are you? Good, good. So um, you're sounding the alarm now uh, with this... um, um with the CROs FPSO heading off to Ireland for major refit work. What's the concern here? Well, and uh, I guess it's the same as the concern has been with uh, all the work that we ship out of province. You know, I believe that we have uh, the men and women in the province that are capable of doing the work. Um, we just seen it with the Terranova. The Terranova went to Spain and, you know, they got to a point where they had to bring people from here over there to do the work. And then when she came back here, she ended up tied up in Bull Arm and, uh, you know, there was an extensive amount of rework that had to be done by Newfoundlanders and Labradorians right here in Newfoundland. And it should have been the approach from day one. And the argument is always going to be, well, we don't have a dry dock where we can take these vessels out of the water. But the Liberal government failed in that attempt. You know, in Argentia, they took a $100 million payoff to ignore putting swing gates in so we could do that type of work here in Newfoundland. And we've had the opportunity to do it in Bull Arm, but now they're talking about, you know, selling off the Bull Arm site once again. So uh, I just don't get much of an indication that this government has any inkling whatsoever about how important our oil and gas industry is, how capable the men and women of Newfoundland and Labrador are to do the work here, and, uh, you know, that there's still a future. Have you been hearing from workers wondering, you know, when their next job is coming up? Absolutely, yeah. And, uh, you know, we started hearing from people before Christmas, and, and there was word that this was happening before Christmas, obviously. Um, you know, and, and I, you know, what happens is there's a lot of people who get laid off. And, you know, if we look historically back to how all this played out, you know, we've we've gotten better with every rig that's been done here. And when you look specifically at the FPSO models that have been done here, the Terra Nova, 70% of it was done here in Newfoundland, created 1,600 jobs for, you know, the longest time. The hull came here and, and, and the mechanical outfitting was done here. Well, even even better, when the Sea Rose came here in 2000, from 2003 until 2005, we did 90% of all top size construction and mechanical outfitting. You know, so it goes to show that not only we do we know how to do that work, but we've already done that work here in Newfoundland and Labrador. We, we built it, and I don't know why there's a belief that we can't fix it. 
So is Bull Arm a facility uh, we as a province should uh, keep, or would there be more opportunity if uh, if a buyer was to move in there? Well, you know, uh, this government, the Liberals put out an RFP back in 2016-17, which they ignored. They had companies that had a 25-year plan for the site, you know, and, and the site, their plan was to grow this site into a world-class facility that could accommodate offshore oil and gas, uh, the, certainly the, the initiatives for up north that the federal government has been doing and wind energy. Um, and, and this government chose to ignore it. Uh, now they've gone back out to RFP again five years later, six years later, and it's just the same model, right? All the time they, they come up with a plan, then they push the plan to the side, and then they reissue the same plan again to try and find a, a solution to a problem that they've made worse. So. Bull Arm is a world-class and can be a world-class facility, and, and it ought to have been developed a long time ago to accommodate this type of work. Sadly, it wasn't. My guess is that the Bull Arm RFP is back out in the wind now, and I use that word uh, as a bit of a pun because we have wind energy companies that are kicking the tires and, and inquiring about that facility, and government's looking to cash in on something that could have been paying dividends for years and years prior to now and years and years to come. Is that not the natural progression of things, though? I don't know if it's a natural progression if you keep ignoring and making the same mistakes over and over. And I mean, you know, this government ignored the, the previous RFP, so here we are back again. You know, my concern right now is that not only do we not have a community benefits program in place that puts Newfoundlanders and Labradorians first and ensures that they're the ones working on these types of jobs, uh, but government is okay with this work leaving the province, and, and it sends a very uh, clear message to the oil and gas companies that they can come here and do what they want. That Newfoundland, this Newfoundland government, I, I will say, you know, I, I don't believe that they support oil and gas. I believe that they're looking to transition away from it as quickly as they can, and they're satisfied to bring in dirty oil from, you know, warlords on other sides of the globe. Have you been speaking with the Department of Energy or Energy NL, for that matter, about this? Well, there's been questions asked to the minister for certain about it, and and you know you get the same answer all the time, and the answer is pretty standard about you know this is a private company doing this work, and I and you know what I get that, but government has a responsibility to have these conversations with those entities to ensure that we are the primary beneficiaries of all of the work that can be carried out here, and again I'll go back to the Terra Nova. The Terra Nova went to Spain, it came back, the work was was inadequate and it had to be redone here and it just seems like we don't learn the lessons and you know if, if there's work to be done on the hull of the sea rose which i don't doubt that there is th that work probably cannot be done here and I'm, i would never argue at that point we don't have a facility large enough that, that can take the sea rose out of the water so to speak we should have a facility that could do that argentia could have been capable of doing that if the liberals didn't sell out on it and bull arm can still be capable of doing that at some point the reality is, if, as long as this work is happening here, it should be done by men and women in this province. Lloyd Parrott, I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Linda. You have a great day. And Lloyd Parrott is the PC member for Terra Nova. He is also the opposition energy critic. Well, the Insurance Bureau of Canada says 2016 is still the most expensive year for insured damages caused by severe weather and natural disasters. Do you remember what happened in 2016, Claudette? Hmm, vaguely. <laughs> well, I, I hear you. Uh, but that was the year that the fires destroyed parts of Fort McMurray. That was when those fires moved through that area, and we can still, I can, oh my goodness, they, I can still see it. 
burned into my retina, pardon the unfortunate pun there, but I can still see those awful, awful images of people trying to get out of Fort McMurray and the fire on both sides of the highway, and oh my goodness gracious, and the loss of so many properties and so many Newfoundlanders affected by that, of course, who went up to Fort McMurray to make their fortune, so to speak, and, you know, build a life for themselves. And then lose it all. A lot of them ended up coming back here. Some of them, you know, are rebuilding in Fort McMurray, but uh, a lot of them came back here. So, yeah, 2016, the most expensive year for insured damages caused by severe weather and natural disasters. Climate disasters caused more than $3 billion in insured damages for the second year in a row last year. That was due, and across Canada, we saw a huge number of natural disasters. If you recall, Newfoundland and Labrador... (sighs) spared for the most part last year we had hurricane fiona the year before that of course but uh last year we saw the uh the wildfires in bc and northwest territories severe storms in ontario and quebec a a wildfire of course that ripped through that uh, suburb of halifax there back in may uh and followed by the floods in nova scotia oh my goodness what a year it was last year for uh, natural disasters in Canada. And of course, the smoke from those wildfires throughout Canada, both in uh, Quebec, Ontario, right across the, the country, um, all caused like uh, smoke warnings in places like New York City. Yeah, and it was kind of scary, especially with people with respiratory illnesses, not realizing that, oh, yeah, you too are going to be affected by the smoke from Canada. Just so bizarre. Yeah, I mean, borders are just lines on maps, aren't they? Mm -hmm. I mean, they don't mean anything, really. They're just political delineations. And we had to pay uh, attention as well to the smoke warnings, I remember. There were times when, yeah, yeah, it was, you know, you'd look across Camat Road and you'd say, wow, that's a really strange haze. And then you go out and you're like, that's smoke. Right. People used to come here for our fresh air. Maybe they still do. But uh, when that happened, it was a real eye opener in terms of uh, what's been going on with the climate. The fact that we had to pay attention to the to air pollution. Well, you know, this little blue ball is not that big when you think about Mm -hmm. it in the grand vastness of the universe. And uh, I can remember not too long ago, there was a a, a volcanic eruption in um, Iceland. Iceland. Yeah. And it wasn't the volcanic particles. It was some kind of gas or something that had been thrown into the atmosphere and it made everything look hazy. Yeah, and we all thought at the time, at the original time, we did think it was the ash, but it wasn't. You're right. Yeah, it was some kind of uh, the the gas. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, uh, you know, it's, you know, winds and all of those kinds of things were just this little continual ball spinning in space and we're all interconnected and sometimes we need a little reminding we're so true too too um uh, enveloped in gazing at our own navels or the thing that's very close to your navel which is got a screen on it you know what i'm saying <laughs> uh so yeah um bad bad year last year with any luck uh, we see a, a little bit of a reprieve uh, from all of that in the year ahead and that's why you know a lot of people say you know that i don't like to see a big snowy winter but snow is important because <laughs> it keeps everything mitigates yeah you know it it provides the water that we need 
through the summer months. Although so. in parts of BC, I think tomorrow they're supposed to be getting 50 centimeters of oh snow my goodness and really strong winds. So, we but just you know, out west they've seen almost nothing so far. Mm-hmm. Almost nothing, which is strange for Western Canada. Yeah, we're all paying attention now to the climate. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, we're all interconnected. Well, when we come back, we'll have uh, more interesting news for you. This is News Talk on VOCN. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. Uh, just going through some of the uh, news in our wire. We um, uh, subscribe to a wire service that uh, provides us with uh, national and international news to keep us on top of things. And I'm continually scrolling through it to find something interesting to read and nothing that's too depressing. But man, oh man, do you find it harder and harder to find yeah. lighter type of I news? I do. And I, th- I wonder if people realize how much stuff is filtered out of the news that we don't talk about. You know, I mean, it would just really really depress you scrolling through yeah. uh, during the commercial break just to, you know to find something interesting to discuss and it's like nope can't do uh, no, yeah. no no nope that's no. negative that negative negative no. negative yeah <laughs> that's depressing that one will keep me up all night uh you know it goes on and on and on well how about this uh paris is immortalizing british music icon david bowie by naming a street after him in the city's southeast on what would have been his 77th birthday he left us all too soon the inauguration of Rue David Bowie on Monday was first announced in 2020 by the mayor of the 13, uh, 13th arrondissement, uh, 13e arrondissement. The tribute uh, celebrated Bowie's first Paris performance in 1965, his first outside the UK, and his lasting impact on music, fashion, and culture. He was brilliant. The inauguration features a concert and an exhibit. So there you go. Um, Paris naming a street after David Bowie in the uh, 13e arrondissement. I love that. And it makes sense. He was so fashion forward. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and I don't know if you've noticed, but on this screen anyway, not on this screen, because i got two screens in front What's of me here. What's on your screen in front there's of you, a little, There's a little uh, Aladdin Sane down there. A little David Bowie Aladdin Sane. Oh. Yeah. That is so sweet. I didn't know that you were a fan. Oh, a huge David Bowie fan. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> moving on to news, uh, the capital city will play host to Scleroderma Canada's biennial meeting this spring. President of Scleroderma Atlantic, Jason Doucette, joins me now. Well, good afternoon, Jason Doucette. Hi, Linda. How are you? Good, good. So, uh, Scleroderma Canada has decided to host its uh, biannual meeting here in St. John's. But before we talk a bit about that, I want to back up a bit. Uh, For a lot of people, they might be wondering, what is Scleroderma? So help us out with that. (laughs) Sure thing. And also very difficult to pronounce and difficult to live with as well. Uh, So what Scleroderma is, it is a rare autoimmune disease. Um, So effectively what happens is the body overproduces collagen. So that can cause hardening and tightening of the skin as well as damage to some internal organs. So when you normally think about collagen, you say, yeah, it's a good thing. Makes your skin nice and soft, but when your body overproduces it, uh, in this case, it's too much of a good thing. Um, so certainly uh, has lots of impacts on those who are living with the disease. It can affect everything from your physical appearance to even the mobility of your fingers, like your loss of your fingers, loss of your toes, 
uh, damage to internal organs such as lung capacity and so on. So it, it really is um, it's a very difficult disease to live with. And what causes it? Is there a genetic factor here? Does it develop just randomly in people? How does how does that work? Um, possibly all of the above. There's still lots of research going into that. There's no known cause and no cure at the moment. Uh, we do know that approximately 1 in 2,500 Canadians live with the disease, um, but it can be very random, um, but it can also be potentially genetically developed as well. We're still looking into that, but right now, no known cause. And when is it typically diagnosed? Does this have a like a, a childhood onset, an adult onset? Uh, typically, we see patients or those who are living with the disease are typically women, age 30 to 50. Um, we do see some men. Uh, we do see as well that those men who are living with the disease tend to have it a little bit worse than the women. Um, but there's also less men who have the disease overall. Um, but certainly, the you know the, the, there are some young people as well. But that certain the female between 30 and 50 is definitely where we see much of the population. So typically after a diagnosis, what happens then? Um, so it's very difficult to diagnose, and that's part of the reason why Sclerotum Atlantic and Sclerotum Canada exist, is to raise awareness amongst our healthcare professionals. A lot of general practitioners, for example, may only have one or two patients with scleroderma. Um, so what they need to do is uh, those who are living with the disease hopefully will get diagnosed by their GP and then get referred to a rheumatologist. So their rheumatologist will be the ones who will uh, di- officially diagnose scleroderma and then follow that patient through their life. Uh, so it's very important that if someone, you know, if you notice you have that, uh, a lot of people who have scleroderma have like the tightening of the mouth. That's one thing that you really notice. Uh, sometimes your fingers can look a little crippled, a little bent in. Uh, so definitely if you see sort of the scleroderma symptoms, talk to your general practitioner and hopefully you can get referred to a rheumatologist as soon as possible. And it's degenerative? It definitely can be, but there are some uh, there are ways to manage the various symptoms that exist that are out there. Um, but it's a matter of just how quickly you can get diagnosed and how quickly you can get in front of that rheumatologist. So why a rheumatologist then? Uh, because it is part of the rheumatic disease, so it, it is affiliated to a degree with, with arthritis, for example. Um, so certainly it's the rheumatology world that uh, they're the experts in this particular disease. And is there a trigger or, or you know, anything that sort of um, causes these symptoms suddenly to appear? Now, again, not, not that we're aware of. There's no known cause. There are some, you know, people out there who are looking into things like just various uh, environmental conditions, for example. Um, it could be genetic. There's just lots, lots of research still underway. And I'm just hoping to one day really find out, A, um, why does it happen and who does it happen mostly into? And then, B, how can we find a cure to help those people who are living with the disease? So is it an autoimmune response then? It is. It is a rare autoimmune disease, yeah. So very much it's in the same family, for example, as lupus. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's an autoimmune disease for sure. So you've decided to hold your uh, biennial conference in St. John's. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, very excited. So every uh, few years, Squidrum Atlantic is the opportunity to co-host the conference. And this year we decided uh, as part of uh, our opportunity to co-host to come to Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, it's the first time that the conference will be held here. Um, so we're super excited. We're going to be uh, located at the Delta downtown from August 29th to 31st. Uh, lots of great programming underway. 
Uh, we're in town this week uh, for part of a site visit and to meet with a bunch of folks who will be helping us out during the conference. But lots of great sessions coming up, including uh, a patient panel where uh, various patients who have the disease, who live with the disease, will be talking about their symptoms in their life. Uh, we'll have a Scleroderma 101 session just to learn a little bit more about the disease. Uh, we'll be talking about living with scleroderma, and we'll have various uh, medical professionals on site as well who will talk about living with scleroderma from everything from dental to fatigue to diet. Um, as part of the conference, there's going to be a continuing med- medical education for uh, for physicians. So we're hoping to see a few of those people here as well. Uh, but super excited to be here. There's going to be uh, lots lots going on. We have some excursions planned for those who are coming in uh, just to see some of the great uh, Newfoundland Labrador hospitality. So we can't wait for next next summer. Excellent. And, and are, you, you mentioned some of these patient panels. Are there any particular challenges that uh, are unique to scleroderma patients? Uh, certainly living with the disease. Um, like I say, like one of the major factors, for example, is the tightening of the mouth. So just think about going to a dentist, for example, and not being able to open your mouth fully. Um, so that's something that, you know, it takes a lot of uh, detail with the dentist uh, to work with the patient to make sure that they can have he- they can have the proper dental hygiene. Um, a lot of some patients, again, they, lo- they lose the mobility in their digits, so they're, they may lose the total capacity of using their fingers, for example. So how do you get through life if that happens to you? Um, so we're going to have some patients who are going to be on that panel who are incurring various symptoms and who will be able to talk to about their way of life and just uh, ways that they cope um, from a day-to-day basis. And are there any treatments that help people living with scleroderma? Again, depending on the symptoms, um, there are some treatments out there. There's various uh, drugs out there um, who can, again, depending on what your symptoms are and and what your manifestations are, uh, there are various drugs. There's a lot of extended medical health as well, for example. So massage, chiropractic uh, can be very important. So we'll be talking about those kind of things at the conference as well. So what can you use outside of your regular medical professionals um, to help you live a better life living with scleroderma? Jason Doucette, I do appreciate your time. No doubt we'll be uh, talking again before the big conference. Uh, Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Appreciate the opportunity. And Jason Doucette is president of Scleroderma Atlantic. They're going to be hosting their national conference right here in Newfoundland and Labrador in the capital city this summer. And he sounds like he's pretty excited about it. Yeah, it's great, you know, that I love these awareness things because I was learning stuff when I was listening to it as well. But it just, the more people know about it, to know about the symptoms and that, might be able to catch it earlier. And education is power. And it struck me as he was speaking, you know, that um, uh, my sister had a friend who, was diagnosed with scleroderma at uh, a relatively young, young age, maybe 32, and it had a dramatic impact on her life and the way she did things. So, um, yeah, it, it affects people, and uh, it's, uh, it's something important to be aware of. Claudette? Linda? We're out of time. We are. Gosh, time <laughs> just flies by flies. on this show. Just flies. So uh, I want to thank everybody for joining us. I, uh, at the end of the show on Friday, I said, well, join, join us tomorrow. And the first thing Rick, out of Richard Duggan's mouth was, you expecting to be in tomorrow, Linda? I said, uh, no. Uh, but anyway, we will be back tomorrow. So join us then. Uh, and thanks for listening. <laughs>